0: This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations. Observations and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bones Show.
3: So much to ask our next guest about, and you can read all about it in Every Shot Counts, the brand new book by Carlos Boozer, who, by the way, on top of it all, is now a great analyst on the ACC Network as well. Uh, Carlos, what's going on, man? How you doing?
4: Great guys, thanks for having me on this morning. Hey
3: man, what uh, the, we
5: we played the audio we, of the of we this, just p- we just played your entire career for about three and a half we, minutes. We, so we, we had a great ev- time. Yeah, we I talked to everybody <laughs> through your whole career.
3: <laughs> we started with the audio of Jim Nance calling the national title. Man, you had to, you had some urgency in that comeback with the broken foot. Um, what was it like? What was that whole experience like where you there had to be a time you feared, I'm not going to be able to play in March Madness on this great team. What was that whole thing like? And then you come back and, and, and cut down the nets. It had to be one of the most special times, right, in your life.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a hell of a season leading up to that. And I got a hairline fracture in my foot and had to go see the doctors, obviously. Nobody, no athlete really wants to get hurt in a time where you guys were rocking and rolling and were chasing the championship. But, you know, I trusted my team, trusted my coaches, trusted my doctors, worked my butt off to get back healthy. And then I learned so much about our team that we had more depth than we thought. You know, Coach decides to switch up how we're going to play. throws Casey Sanders in the mix. And wow, did Casey shine. Like we went undefeated the rest of the way yes. to lose the game. Yes. Uh, marching our way to to a championship, and we switched up how we played. We started playing more like the Phoenix Suns, a little faster, uh, pressing full court, doing different things. Casey was blocking shots, rebounding, catching alley-oop dunks, and and we realized that we were deeper than we thought we were.
5: Carlos, do people kind of forget in total how crazy that, that series of events was between you and Maryland back in 2001? Because we always see the crazy comeback at College Park. But then right. you broke your foot against Maryland in the return game, right, late February, right. then that ACC game that you weren't a part of, that gets lost in the mix too, right, where Nate James tips one in in the semifinals and then the great comeback in the final four that's That's a series of events that we may never see a four game set like that ever again, right?
4: Yeah, it was incredible. I'd tell you the three years that I was in college, Maryland was our was our biggest rival. I know obviously Duke Carolina always going to have it. It's glory and it's time but us in Maryland were always in the top five top ten all three years we were in college and that particular year in 01 2001 we played them four times like you said Nate James has a huge tip in one of our senior captains in the ACC championship ACC tournament and then we're down 22 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the semifinal game in Minneapolis and we get in the huddle and Coach K says listen we're going to win this game just like we beat them up in College Park we're going to win this game too and if you look at the matchup, right, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, Terrence Morris, Lonnie Baxter, Chris Wilcox, Chris Duhon, Jay Will, Shane Battier, Mike Bentley, and myself, we were evenly matched. And I think that the, the X factor was Coach K. You know, he had been through, which he was on most games, I'll tell you that. Yeah. He was our X factor in yeah. most games, but he's been through so many different scenarios and so many different uh, tournament games and March Madness games but everything was on the line. We had ultimate belief in him. So when he came in that huddle, and we're getting our butt kicked for the first 10 minutes of that game, and he goes, listen, we're going to dominate the next 30 minutes of this game. And we cut it to to 11 at halftime, and then we took over in the second half.
3: We're talking with Carlos Boozer. His book is Every Shot Counts. It's a memoir of resilience. And you can check that out. Buy that now. Check it out on Amazon. And we're going to talk through other key parts of his career and life that are in this book. Fascinating stuff. I have to ask a little bit more about Coach K. And you shed a little bit of light on it there. About the, you know, the confidence he would instill in you with his words, right? Um, and the difference he was in a close matchup. When we watched Coach K on the sidelines, man, we'd see the fiery persona and i wonder behind the scenes at practice i mean is his style a lot of that tough love and you know and is he peeling the paint off the walls a lot does he vary it well like what is he like behind closed doors as a coach
4: my coach is competitive man he brings that competitive fire to every aspect of what we do whether it's watching film you know, whether it's practice, whether it's conditioning, getting ready for the season, obviously in the middle of the season. He's competitive, man, and, and he brings that edge everywhere. You think he, he, as accomplished as he is, he goes about every day like he hasn't accomplished anything. And I, I think that, was makes, that makes him so special. But also, one of the most important things about Coach is he's one of those guys that will get the best at you. He's an ultimate motivator, number one. And number two, he's a guy that, it, it goes beyond the court, beyond the field. Like I, I think the mark of really good coaches, they continue to be with you past, you know, the three years or four years that you're gonna be on campus. Or in this case, today's era, one year on campus with somebody's one and done. But he's one of those guys that continues the relationship, continues to build with you. And that's what made our, our relationship so close with Coach K because we trusted him not only for what he did in the past, but what he's doing for us currently. So He's remarkable in that regard. He teaches you to to push past the limits that you think you may have for yourself because he's coached players that were similar talent-wise and saw them excel what they expected. So um, very rare combination to have all that in one person.
5: Carlos, so the audience knows your twin sons Cameron and Caden are two of the highest-ranked players in the class of of 2025 as they try to figure out where they are going to play. What's it been like for you on the other side of this to watch recruiting from the parent side as opposed to when you were highly recruited out of Alaska to Duke?
4: Man, great question. It's so funny. Like a lot of the same coaches that were recruiting me in high school, you know, 20 something years ago are recruiting my kids now. So it's it's a proud moment, full circle moment, but they, they put the work in, man. You know, I put my kids uh, in everything. My oldest son is a baseball pitcher being recruited for baseball and then the twins are going after it for basketball they played football soccer baseball track and field even t- even hockey guys they even played hockey and they chose what they what they what they wanted to do so to see them excelling at it going after it makes me very proud We still have a lot of work to do but it's exciting man you know they they went to kentucky last weekend or two weekends ago to get their first official visit they got duke coming up university of miami coming up texas kansas florida uh, a few other schools as they go through this process of, of going on their official visits and, and building relationships with these coaches, they got to choose whatever path is best for them. I mean, I'm, the great thing about I'm not pushing them to Duke, but it would be awesome if they went there. But where, wherever they go is going to be awesome.
5: Now, right? booze. I, I have Duke. Word. I have Duke fans on the text. I'm a Duke fan, Carlos. They're trying to get me yeah. to try to help recruit your ca- I'm a professional. <laughs> I will text you after
3: the show and work on. That. I'm not doing <laughs> it right now. Right? Well, it's, fun- I that. <laughs> it's funny, it's funny, booze, because there's Tario fans on here too that think it yeah. would be very cool. If if a boozer ended up in light blue, I two noticed. Boozers. I noted or two, yeah. I noticed your list of visits, and I didn't hear Tar Heels. Have you like you say they can make your own choice? Have you forbidden that one? Though? What What's going on with that? No, <laughs> no, not at
4: all. The, the data, they, they They were being recruited by Huber Davis for sure. Yeah. they've had good conversations with them, but they. Uh, at this point, we're going to do four or five before the, the the season starts, and then we'll do four or five when the season ends. Maybe they're on the list, maybe they're not, but. They definitely had a great couple of conversations with Hubert Davis, and I'm a big Hubert Davis fan. I think he did a hell of a job in his first year, started the season off kind of rocky, then he got the voice of the locker room, and they went all the way to almost won a national championship that year. They had a disappointing year last year, obviously, being ranked number one overall and not even making a tournament. But this year, I think without Armando Baycock coming back, RJ Davis coming back, the kid could do, and the rest of those guys, they had the chance to resurrect what they had. But I'll tell you what, those Blue Devils, they got a chance to cut the Nets down. They got four of their five starters back. That Obviously, we're missing Lively, but they're, they're loaded. They got everything back. They got Diaper Dandies and Jerry McCain and Sean Stewart and the rest of those guys. Uh, I think Shire's in a very good position to be one of, the, one of the four teams going to the Final Four this year. If they can stay healthy, continue to build their chemistry, Play out of the defense. They they got a good chance.
5: Well, I certainly have goosebumps now. That oh, you said like that? Are that we all good now? you went Carlos. right
3: over into analyst mode too. That was beautiful, man. Carlos, your book is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs>
5: your your book is fascinating on a serious note because of the relationships along the way that you have with so many important people. Mac asked you about Coach Kane. one of those guys you formed a friendship with, was the late great Kobe Bryant. What did Kobe Bryant mean to you? And, and what kind of lessons did, did you learn from Kobe while he was alive and maybe beyond now that he's passed away?
4: Uh, quite a bit, man. He became one of my big brothers. We, we shared the same agent around Rob Winker. So as soon as I got drafted, I got a chance to go to LA and work out with Kobe and, and learn some of the lessons. He, he, he was one of the, maybe the only guy that I got a chance to be this close to that had an incredible basketball IQ at a championship level. Um, everything he thought about was really good enough to win a championship. And I know he, he racked up a ton of accolades along the way, MVPs and gold medals, and a ton of All-Star appearances, scoring titles—you name it, he accomplished it. But he was always about winning and being the best. He was obviously chasing MJ, and he was—in our generation, he is our MJ, right? I mean, he, he played so similar to him. But one of the best things about Kobe is when he retired, it was like he cut the switch off from being so competitive and just let his guard down a little bit. You saw how. Open he was with the fans, and how he was doing so much for the WNBA and women's basketball because of Gigi, and just there were so many facts. Like he spoke five languages, guys. Like he was, he was such a fascinating human being, and you know his the mark of what he was able to accomplish on this planet continues to ring after he's he's watching over us in heaven because you see the effect that he has on so many athletes, from soccer players to WNBA stars to everybody across the globe about yeah. the loss of Kobe and Gigi. So. You know, we, we we still want to keep him high and shiny. If you guys watched the documentary, the Redeemed Team, we try to give him as much love as possible because yeah. he really did put us over the top to get that gold medal in Beijing.
3: You know, uh, uh, that's great stuff from you on Kobe, and I, I'm curious to get your perspective on another all time great. You were, I think, your second year was LeBron's first, right, in Cleveland. Correct. All right. Yeah, so you right. you already kind of established yourself as rookie. And then the LeBron James phenomenon, man, that thing was like what Taylor Swift is right now in the NFL. I mean, you had, you had <laughs> it was madness. So what was it like when you're in your second year? So you got a little bit of experience, but it was just a show, I'm guessing, man. What was that whole year like, the spectacle that it was? And then the way LeBron handled it, I mean, he. I think he even exceeded expectations out of the gate, which is crazy.
4: Yeah, I mean it was it was a whirlwind. Coming from our my rookie year, where I'm obviously I'm coming from Duke and playing in the in Sweet 16 and going after March Madness and filling up arenas and all that. And then I go to Cleveland, my rookie year, and there's half the arenas you know full and half of it's empty on rookie year. And then we get LeBron and we got packed houses for summer league. Like we had they had to move our summer league game into the Orlando Big Arena. Because there was too many people trying to come and we couldn't fit him in the small arena for summer <laughs> week. so it was—I'll tell you—it was—it was complete 180 of what it was by rookie year. And are you kidding me? What he accomplished, like we didn't know an 18-year-old kid was going to have this kind of impact, right? You know, you think of like a kid jumping from high school. You know, we've seen Kevin Garnett take a couple years to develop. Yeah. We saw Kobe take a couple years to develop. We saw Amari take a—he was ready when he got to the NBA. It was—it was like he was from like another planet. You know what I mean? Like he was built, he was strong. He had the vision. I thought his best asset was his passing ability because he, obviously he was six, eight fast athletic, but his vision, he would lead you and the ball would be in your hand before you know it while you're finishing the shot. It was, it was remarkable. And then, Oh, by the way, he could score whenever he wanted to, right? As you see, he's the leading scorer in NBA history. And what a great ambassador for the game. What he did with Yacht. What he's done with Yacht Promise School and how he's picked so many different talents under his under his wing and taught them some of the moves that he does. He's very much the open book kind of guy where he wants to bring everybody in and wants to be liked by everybody and has no problem teaching what he's learned to others to help them advance the game while he's still kicking their butt during the regular <laughs> season. Um, now it's, it's very It's very impressive what LeBron's been able to do with his career.
5: The book is called Every Shot Counts, Memoir of Resilience by the great Carlos Boozer. Carlos, why was it important for you to share uh, all these stories in, in your new book? What's, what's, this, uh, what's this mean to you to get that out there?
4: Yeah, for me, it was important. I'm 41 years old. I've been through a lot. And I think the biggest message for me in my book is to tell people if you have a dream, fight for it. Because we all know when you, when you say you want to be a photographer, you want to be a painter, you want to be an artist. And you're going down the road to that and you, you need a speed bump or a roadblock. You know, what do you do? Do you fight through that roadblock and keep going or do you stop and decide to pivot and do something else? Right. And so my, in, in, in this book, I'm telling stories that happened in my life in real time where I got hit with a roadblock or, or childhood trauma right off the bat with my best friend being killed when I was six years old in DC. And then we all moved to Alaska to, to when I was in seventh grade. And the teacher goes, Hey, what do you guys don't want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be in the NBA. And she tells me, you need to lower your expectations and you probably work at the gas station or you probably work at the local supermarket. Jeez. And I'm coming from, a, I'm coming from a household where my parents allowed me to dream, to be a dreamer and go after my goals. And they encouraged me to, to chase my dreams. And so I tell my seventh grade teacher, I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I decided to not listen to my seventh grade teacher and keep fighting for my goal and go forward. And instead of being discouraged, I use that as motivation. So my story is just to inspire the kid who wants to achieve something great and to inspire the parent or the guardian or the grandparent or the person that has a kid that has a dream, encourage them. Don't discourage them, you know, go out there and and find your tribe, get your, do your research, do what you have to do to keep going because either you're going to reach your goal or you'll be working for somebody else trying to help them reach theirs. And so I just want guys, I want people out there to continue to fight for their goals. That's great Carlos, stuff, my seventh
5: grade teacher, told me I would be in the NBA. It was, it was the opposite. They said, I would make it. So now look at us here. Yeah. <laughs>
3: that that te- Carlos, uh, knowing what Bone must have looked like in seventh grade, that teacher shouldn't have told Bone to dream, though. That, that's the one. And maybe, and maybe shouldn't have. All right, man. Brother, that's a great message that, awesome, that all man. We can't parents wait to read this. and teachers need to hear. And uh, that's cool, man. Hey, best of luck with the book. And before we know it, it'll be hoop season. We'll be watching on ACNC Network, man. Um, take it easy. Can't wait. Can't wait. Thanks for having me, guys. There you go. That's Carlos Boozer. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues
0: with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
2: The exclusive
0: home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection, you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. In replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice.
3: This afternoon
0: on the Wesson Walker Show.
6: Speaking of the Carolina Panthers, let's continue to talk about some of the disappointing stuff, but also we were talking defensively, Wes, and how we actually like a lot of what we're seeing defensively. Atero Avero, think he's doing a very good job. We have some sound to get to there as well with Avero. Maybe the running game or the lack of being able to stop the run has been a little disappointing. Avero did talk about how they need to get better stopping the run. It has been an issue so far. Here's what the coordinator had to say.
4: We need to play better. We need to play better. Um, you know, I think some of that could be schematic, uh, things that I can do better. Um, and then we just got to play to run better. And so um, that's the challenge, and uh, it's going to be very evident this week.
6: All right, so that was really enlightening. I asked, <laughs> how are they going to play better? And he said, we need to play better. So uh, I think they have it all figured out as to why they're going to be able to do that. I think this is something we were a l- little worried about. Odd Man Front, Derek Brown transitioning, Sean Williams, Shai Tuttle, those guys going to be big enough in order to stop the run. So it, they've not been great against it. We're also not looking at this defense and saying it's been atrocious because of their inability to stop the run, but are there ways they can get better from you watching the Panthers? Wes, is it, is it a, is it a point of Derek Brown eating up more defenders? Same thing with Deshaun or, or even a shy Tuttle who's out there. As we mentioned, is it the linebackers making better plays? Shaq Thompson, not being there. What are some of the answers you're looking for?
7: Uh, Man, it's so we're getting enough of a sample size to get a feel for what this defense is, man. But it comes down to basically fundamentals. It's not like you you can go tell a guy, hey, you need to be able to take up more blockers or do this or do that. It's just guys playing their assignments to the best of their ability, and then their natural ability will take over. And so not everybody that they have on this defense is a difference maker. Uh, You really probably, unless you are a diehard Panthers fan, you can't name – uh, many Panthers outside of some of the, you know, the big ticket guys, the Burns the Browns and things of that nature. And so you look at the rest of this crew and then a the three, four defensive line, you're really not supposed to know a lot of these guys names. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be there to take up blockers so that the linebackers can be the star of the show for the most part. And so when you look at shot, Tuttle and Deshaun Williams, they'll pop up every now and again, but it's not like these are guys that offenses are coming in and fearing what they're going to bring to the table uh kgh has come in he's a good coverage linebacker but he's not going to decimate anybody's running game or just really be a real menace behind the line of scrimmage Secondarys had so many injuries it's hard to know what you're going to get there so uh i think it just when you have a defense with guys where you know where your weaknesses are all guys can do is just play assignment sound football and it sounds boring That's really all you can ask for everybody to do is just try to play the hell out of their assignment and let the chips fall where they may.
6: Well, and if you look at some of these other players that we wanted to highlight, let's go to the secondary. We can even possibly talk about their ability to stop the run. How about Jeremy Chin? Jeremy Chin, if you look at, Pro football focus, he's grading out as the 32nd best safety out of 87 measured. So, top half, not phenomenal, but we saw him make a play in the backfield against the Minnesota Vikings.
7: clearly his best game against uh, the Vikings.
6: Yeah, so close to the line of scrimmage. See him making plays there. That's been the narrative surrounding Jeremy Chin's early career so far. Do you think more good things are to come? for the guy that finished second in the Defensive Rookie of the Year voting when he was a first-year player?
7: Well, I think, too, what you had to be encouraged about about that was his coverage grade was an 86.4 against the Vikings. And I think that's something that you have to be excited about when you look at this uh, young man and what he's done. And then when you look at the totality for the season— I mean, he's playing pretty decent football. I mean, he's got a 70 grade. He's got a 70.8 coverage grade. And some of those are some of his better marks from what he's had. You looked at the blitzes they had with the injuries uh, that have occurred in the secondary. So he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of burn. And so I do think that this could be the start. I'm not saying he's going to come out and turn into a Hall of Fame all of a sudden. But this could be a guy that could end up flashing more times than not. When you look at the reps that he's going to get with the injuries that are in that secondary, they're going to need him to be a playmaker. And so I think Evero, We showed he showed some of the ways that he can be used on Sunday when he got that big sack, came through perfectly timed blitz and was able to get right back there and make a play. So uh, I think that definitely he could be a guy that this defense could look to and could make
6: some plays. Wes, I think the more snaps Chin is in coverage, the worse he'll play. I, I think if you give him... 15, 20 or less then he'll play better. Because I th- I think it's just the more you add up to it, that's where he struggled really throughout his entire career. In my opinion, we, we like him being physical at the line of scrimmage. He had 30 coverage snaps against Seattle by far as worst grade, but you're talking about 17, 13 and 10 in the other games. And he played a lot better in coverage. So the more you accumulate his snaps away from the line of scrimmage, as we've talked about a lot, like the eye test is bearing out when you look at traditional stats when you look at the advanced stats i i think jeremy chin even if you don't expect him to be among the better safeties in the league like we thought there was a chance for him to be after his rookie season Still a pretty useful football player. And who knows if that means that he's going to be a long-term Panther based on what kind of deal he's seeking, whatever, right? But I still think he's a useful football player for this Panthers team. And I think we did see him give you some nice plays against the Minnesota Vikings, whether it be rushing the passer, sending him on a blitz, being able to tackle in open space, you know, the run defense hasn't been phenomenal for him, but also I think he is a guy that isn't afraid to be physical. At least that's one of the things you like about a Jeremy chin. So hopefully he can continue that. And then Sam Franklin, right? If we feel good about the safety depth, one thing we talked about that is this off season, one of the deeper positions that this Panther team has Franklin right out of the gate, even if he was the one that allowed the Minnesota Vikings to get into the red zone because of the pass interference call against him made up for it. Just playing disciplined football. Kirk cousins helped him out by staring KJ Osborne down, but made a good play on it and scored a touchdown.
7: He, he did yep. exactly what you wanted him to do. And that's all you can ask
6: for uh, fans really like him. And I think for good reason, a, a guy that, Xavier Woods is a really good football player, but Sam Franklin is too. And when he gets his time to shine, he certainly takes advantage of it.
7: Yeah, and this is the guy that you root for. I mean, he's an underdog. So this is the guy, one of those guys on the roster that you're going to root for when he comes in to play because you want to see him do well. He brings great energy. He brings juice out there. And so uh, still a relatively young player. He's been in the league. This is his fourth season here. So uh not to say that you see guys that just break out and become studs all of a sudden, but you have to like the play that was made there. Uh you have to like, like I said, everything that he brings to the field from a juice perspective. And the NFL is all about guys taking advantage of opportunities when they arise. How many players have we seen become studs because they finally got the reps? They finally got to get into game action and this could be a guy that could be a candidate for a breakout season.
6: Um, we had the question earlier, has there been a significant disappointment defensively? And I don't know if we could come up with some, oh my God, it's been so horrible. Like the offensive line has been such a disappointment, right? Mm -hmm. The offense as a whole wide receiver, if you were a believer in them, it's really only Adam Thielen that's playing even average or even above that with what we've seen through the first four games. Defensively, I think I might've found one DJ Johnson having a non-existent role might be a guy. Especially with Scott Fitterer telling you we think he can help us right now, even if he doesn't get after the passer, he could go out there and set the edge, so the Panthers focused more so offensively five draft picks this past selection process, three offensive players with Bryce Young, Jonathan Mingo, Chandler Zavala, two defensively d j Johnson, Jamie Robinson. The defensive guys aren't getting out there more talent on that side of the ball, understandable. But man, it felt like D.J. Johnson had a shot to get out there and did not take advantage of it whatsoever. Wes, Bryce Young, even people are out on. You and I are not. I think level-headed people are not calling Bryce Young a flat-out bust after three starts in his rookie season. But what is the potential of this draft class being a bust everywhere else outside of Bryce Young as the number one overall pick?
7: Well, uh, things aren't looking fantastic right now, but that comes down to your player development. But when you look at this class, I mean, Bryce Young obviously is the crown jewel, and he's the guy that uh, you're going to look at for your future. He's your franchise quarterback. But Chandler Zavala, I've already said it, I don't like to jump the gun too much on rookies, but he is – I think they missed on him. So you have to just call it what it is. Uh, (laughs) No, like it's,
6: I'm with you. I I hate writing somebody's career after a few games and, and maybe it's still a little too early, but if there's ever a player to do that, yeah. then it might be somebody that gets off to this we'll kind least of start. At hit
7: the panic button, no, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And then you talked about D.J. Johnson been nowhere to be found. Jamie Robinson has two tackles on the season, haven't seen much from him. So, yeah, this is a class. I mean, you already know the margin for error when you have a full allotment of draft picks, whether you have seven or what. We've seen – well over half of your class is gonna miss. That's just the way the law of averages in the NFL. So when you think you only get five draft choices, that cuts your margin of
6: error down that much more. Um, we did have a text coming in from seven oh four. I think DJ Johnson not getting out there has more to do with Y G M actually playing better this year. Could be. Which is Could a be. it's a good point. I think yeah. A little bit of a saving grace for DJ Johnson not getting out there because at least it allows somebody that was close to a first-round pick in YGM starting to realize his ability, playing better with a different defensive coordinator, which is very odd, by the way, because we thought YGM was going to be the odd man out. We thought he was going to be the one that struggled the most with this odd man front despite Avero bringing multiple defense. And he's the one that stepped up. I mean, even I mean, even in this off season, we didn't hear much noise from YGM. Yeah. Everything pointed towards him being a complete bust, not going to be helping this football team. But that's not been true. I think that's a good point from 704.
7: Yeah. And I think, though, too, if DJ was out there, you know, just smashing folks like that and just being a, a dominant force or looking like a guy that. Basically, I'm saying if he was forcing his way on the field, I think we would see him. Uh, I think even with YGM doing what he's doing, I think that Ejiro uh, would cook up some packages to get him on the field. So I think it's a little bit of a mix, probably some guys emerging. And then him being, even if he's playing decent, him still not being quite what they want. Because I think if you got a guy defensively, especially we read off the numbers, and he's not... Um, You know, we we looked at the numbers and so if this defense was among the top 10 in the league, okay, but this is still a defense that is still struggling in some areas and I think if he could help, they'd get him out there to help.
6: Uh, D.J. Johnson did play in this game, by the way, against Minnesota, did have six total snap counts, three against the run, three against the pass, and did have an assisted tackle, but still a very small sample size. I think in the spirit of the conversation, D.J. fits the bill, what we were discussing. Um, Jamie Robinson also not getting out there, was always going to be a lot harder for him especially when we liked the safety depth so could be a situation where jamie learns once a time once it's time to pay everybody you pick and choose who you want in the back end and jamie could be a death piece there so would be interesting yeah it's still early for me to say it's yeah of course it's early to say that everybody else is a bust outside of bryce jonathan mingo going through concussion protocol Always felt like a little, tiny bit of a project. And Mingo
7: as well. I, I forgot to add him in with the class.
6: Yeah, M- Mingo, a little bit of a project. I th- I think we knew that. I think when we talked about him being involved in today's offense, in year one, it was all about manufacturing some snaps for him. You know, giving it to him on handoffs, maybe some kind of hybrid LaVisca role where you send him on crossers and just allow the yak to do the work for him. They've thrown some slants to him. For me, the, the reason that I, I'm not crazy disappointed with mingo i feel like a lot of his mistakes are very i'm a young receiver trying to figure it out in the nfl type of stuff and it's not necessarily ability to me the drops are concerning but also we saw it with jamar chase when he was in the preseason right like drops are not a great indicator advanced stats have always pointed to drops not being a great indicator of if you'll be able to figure it out running at the wrong depth. I think that's just chemistry with Bryce Young. Mingo, I'm a lot more hopeful in than a Zavala, you know, who has just looked flat out terrible out there.
7: Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Mingo, though, the only thing, again, we talk about messaging. And what was the messaging that we were getting about Mingo was that he was going to be the guy that, was going to have a big role in this Panthers offense and how he was a gym rat and how he was already, you know, kind of ahead of the curve and ready to contribute to this Panthers offense immediately. And we've seen none of that. And even at times when he has gotten a ball, you haven't really seen anything spectacular. You look at receivers from this draft, some of his contemporaries too, they're already out doing that thing, which is to be expected. There's so many receivers drafted, but Mingo's another guy that, you definitely want to give them some time,
6: but you are a little worried, especially after the messaging that we got. Well, and I gave like I jumped the gun a little bit on Mingo. It was it was admittedly a bold take saying Mingo could emerge as a you know hybrid wide receiver number one or competing for that. But it hasn't happened. No doubt. And we'll see what he can do after he exits concussion protocol, which is what I think we got this week. We got that update from the rookie wide receiver.
0: You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to three. Sit tight and stay locked because instant replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. On Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show.
1: Let's bring in longtime NFL linebacker, always a Gamecock with a dash of roll tide, and a radio host. Middays down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The pastor of pain, Corey Miller, is back with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Pastor, what's going on today?
2: I'm going to Carolina in my mind. Mm, mm. <laughs> I'm so great, baby. I'm well, doing great. Love How are you it?
1: doing? I'm doing good. Well, I'd be doing better if the football team didn't stink. But, you know, that happens from time to time. Yeah. So, so, now, you you understand yeah. what's going on here. You and I talked a bit earlier on the phone today. So, let's bring part of that conversation to the airwaves. Um, generally speaking, with your football eye, what is wrong with Carolina's offense? Oh,
2: well, I wish we had three hours. But, I mean, the abbreviated version would be, as I say, uh, ad nauseum, offensive line play putrid think terrible been that way for years hasn't been fixed that to me becomes an upstairs problem because it it tells me you're not addressing what you really need to be good especially when you're going to make a trade and you're going to go get the number one guy in the country quarterback Bryce Young and come bring him in when you know you got to have protection that's that's another problem thirdly you don't bring any weapons for him on the outside. I love Adam Thielen. I mean, he's a guy that should be number three. He should be a guy that's moving the change on third down. He can kind of take that place as a tight end, if you will, because you don't have that dude either. I love Hayden Hurst, or Gamecock, but he's not a number one. So all this stuff is telling me that upstairs, you haven't did your due diligence to to get get this guy a good football team. And, you know, I'm looking out at Houston, brand-new coach, brand-new quarterback, a lot of new pieces, but they're winning. And the quarterback is doing some phenomenal things. So why aren't you doing this, Carolina? And that tells me, again, it has to start upstairs. You know, I'm not trying to make this personal. I'm just talking football, business. You're not doing your job upstairs if, if this is the case. I mean, it's hard to watch. I say this every week. This product that the Carolina Panthers are putting on the field is very difficult to watch and is mismanaged, and something has to change. Because this team, they may not win one or two games. I mean, I can see them maybe going over. That's just how bad they are right now. Oh, it's awful.
1: And, and they're, the, the offshoots of what you just said, there's so many of them. And I'll stay with the front office for a second since you mentioned it. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And what's frustrating for me. And I think a lot of other fans, because I'll still get the occasional, yeah, well, we got to give Scott a little bit more time because Matt Rule had, you know, veto power on the rock. Matt Rule has, is gone, gone, right? And after year two, we got the the feeling and we got the sense from over there that, you know, some of that power had already shifted to Scott Fitterer. So, like, I, I wish the organization would just come out and tell us, and they never will. Like, who was the last pick? Who was the last acquisition? That we can attribute fully to Matt Rule, so that we can start, you know, evaluating this general manager, Corey. You know what I'm saying? Like, because they, and we keep right, getting right. the well, Matt Rule, Matt Rule, Matt Rule's gone. How am I supposed to evaluate this general manager on his merit when people keep jumping back and saying, "Yeah, but Matt Rule, but Matt," I don't care anymore. I need them to start putting players on the field. That can play, Corey. This organization is responsible for the fewest number of players drafted onto the NFL, into the NFL than any organization in the league. You can't keep just screaming Matt Rule and expect everybody to be okay with that.
2: No, the dude is going on. I mean, that's over. I mean, I, but that's that's what people do. I mean, like they want to find some blame and okay, give this guy a little bit more time. No, 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 no. You have the ability and all this money at their disposal. They could have done some some really nice things. I mean, to to help this young man play quarterback. And he is not the problem. He is not your problem. This dude is an asset if you get him the right help. I mean, it's it's unbelievable to me. And I just, I mean, it is the front office fault. It's Scott Federer and whomever else is involved, in my opinion, that that this is not right. And and you're not doing your job. You're getting paid a lot of money to, to, to give the fans a lot more than what you're putting on the field on Sunday. And it's ab- absolutely atrocious. I mean, it's like this this team couldn't beat one of the better college teams. That's how bad they are. I mean, it's horrible.
1: So should Frank Wright give up play calling? Because I'm of the mind that he should. Um, and, and let me say one more thing about that. Because, you know, they had that, that egregious clock management error at the end of the first half where they yeah. burned 20 seconds with two, timeout for, two timeouts for reasons that no one can figure out. Um, we've seen guys try to call plays as head coaches before. It rarely works out. And a Frank Reich disciple up there in Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni, whose team was just in the Super Bowl, he tried to call plays as the head coach up there when he first got to Philly, and it didn't take long for him to realize that he couldn't do it, and he handed that off to Shane Steichen. Is it time already for Frank Reich to give Thomas Brown play calling duties?
2: Absolutely. I think it's overdue. Uh, I mean, It's just hard to do. It's hard to handle all of your duties and try to call plays at the same time, especially at this level. Give that, you know, give it to somebody else. Yes, you can be in the meetings. You can, you know, do whatever you need to do, help game plan, but let the man call the plays. Let him run, be the head coach of the offense. And right, cause what we're seeing right now is just, it's bad, and then there's excuses, and it's we're close, and we're close, and I'm so sick and tired of hearing that we're close. You're not close. <laughs> because if you were close, you would have tipped the scale already of being better. So, you know, Mr. Brown has, I think, earned the right to call plays, earned the right to give him a little bit of, of a boost, and let him just be the CEO and manage his football team. I love Frank Wright. Frank Wright. is the most amazing dude that you would ever want to meet. Good man. A godly man. Yes. And, you know, I, and I have nothing, nothing negative about that. I love who he is as a man. But right now, as a coach and slash offensive coordinator, not good at all. And I don't know why at this point, because right now it's pretty much, you're not going to make the playoffs. Why wouldn't you do something different? Why wouldn't you change? Why wouldn't you try something fresh? Maybe that's going to just inject some energy and some more positivity to your players. And so to answer your question, absolutely yes. I think it should move out the way and give that job after over and just kind of be a
4: head coach. Yeah.
1: Uh, real quick. I had a text to write in to say, are y'all seriously saying we look so bad we could go over. We are not good, but we've been in games and this dude isn't wrong, but the bears and Broncos are actually getting beaten every week by a lot. I, I don't think Corey's not predicting that we're going on, like defeated because no. that's, that's hard to do. Like you have to be historically bad to lose games or to lose every game. But it doesn't look like they're going to win many right now. And speaking, <laughs> speaking of the Broncos, speaking of the Broncos, I got to bring this up because I'm seeing some reporting out of Denver right now. And this ties back into you as a a Tuscaloosa radio host these days. Uh, Benjamin Albright is reporting that uh, the Panthers are sniffing around Jerry Judy out in Denver. Not, oh, yeah. yeah, nine career oh, touchdown yeah. passes for Jerry Judy, kind of an up and down career, dealt with some injuries, missed a lot of time in twenty one. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I, this Jerry? They, by the way, they reportedly want like a second or a fourth or a third for him. Like, does that make sense?
2: Yes. Okay. Because Jerry Judy, you know, played with my son. This guy, and I've seen a lot of him, he's one of, just like we talk about Calvin Ridley, you talk about route running, you know, he's not going to be the 4-3 guy that run be a deep threat, but man, this guy is really nice when it comes to running routes, uh, getting open getting separation, because think about it. separation. When people say that word, they're, they're thinking I'm just running past somebody. You know, I'm Randy Mossing them. We're talking about creating separation in, in running a dig route, running a curl, somebody that can come out of the brakes and get that just, you know, in the NFL, you don't need that much separation. NFL quarterbacks should be able to fit balls into tight spots. So this guy's a great route runner, got great hands, had some issues up there became very frustrated in Denver. Rightfully so, because they got stuff going on there. But uh, I think for a third-round pick, absolutely, this would be a win. And I think he'd give you a dude the 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 relationship with Bryce, and they know each other. I think it would be a really good deal if they can get that done for a third-round pick. Now I wouldn't go second. I wouldn't go first, second. Nah, he's not, he hasn't done enough for that. But third, fourth, I'm in that game.
1: All right, we got Corey Miller, the pastor of pain, decade in the NFL as a linebacker, always a Gamecock with a dash of roll tide. He's with us on the Bodyworks Plus guest hotline. Uh, let's pivot here for a couple of minutes because I do need to know what you thought about uh, uh, your boys up in Knoxville this past weekend. Gamecocks went to Tennessee and uh, they lost by double digits, and it wasn't that Milton Milton didn't slice and dice you. It was the Tennessee running game that did most of the damage. How, how disappointed were you in the Gamecocks in that one?
2: Well, I, I had some kind of losing a game, honestly, because you know they're so banged up, KB. They beat up at offensive line. They're playing a lot of true freshmen in critical positions. Um, you know Spencer is balling out. Uh, Leggett's balling out. They don't have really a, a third, fourth guy receiver the running back. I love the the kid from Newberry who transferred in. Uh, actually, one of my friends who's scout from Buffalo Bills told me that this dude was better than Marshawn Lloyd who transferred out to Southern California. He's showing that he can be. A really good running back. Defensively, I'm. This is where I'm really disappointed. The defense of South Carolina has just been bad. I mean, they're giving up tons of yards on the ground and the air. It used to be they'd be one of you know the pass defense normally top you know half of the league, top top mid quarter of the league, and they've done pretty good there. But not this year, and a lot of his injuries too. So, uh, you know, you know how we feel about Shane Beamer. I think he got the right stuff, but right now, man, this team is not built to have the depth that they need to compete, especially on the road. Tennessee wanna pay back on that sixty piece. And they, they hung in there for a little bit, but then it just got it got sideways. But hey, Tennessee is a good team. They're not a great team. But South Carolina just banged up and beat up and right now, man, this bye week came at a crucial time for them. Hopefully they can get healthy and and see what they can do. But right now they're trending in the wrong direction trying to make a bowl game because the schedule does not get any easier.
1: Hey, Corey, I'll let you go on this. I've kept you too long as it is, but a, a listener wanted me to ask you this question, and I should, given that you were a former NFL defender yourself. Um, Brian Burns didn't get the contract that he wanted this offseason. He's reportedly asking for, like, low $30 million a year, $31, $32 million a year, uh, which puts him in Nick Bosa range, not quite. The Panthers don't want to give it to him. And it seems that after this slow start, and Burns hasn't exactly been spectacular – that we're back to the possibility that they could trade him away if this is a bad season to try to recoup some draft capital. What would you do with Brian Burns, especially, you know, if he's still asking for that uh, 30 to $32 million a year type of money?
2: I like the young man. I like his upside. You know, came in with Christian, my son. Um, listen, he, he's not he's not Nick Bosa. And he hasn't done enough to, to in my personal opinion, to get that. Now if you're saying, hey, I believe in the future of this young man and he's gonna be that kind of dude, I would do it. But but right now the reality is he has value out there and I think you say, hey, let's just let's trade him, let's see what we can get for him, because we need to fill so many other voids. And you can find the guy. You can find a guy that can rush the pass and give you eight, seven, eight, nine, ten sacks. You know, he's not getting twenty sacks. He's not TJ Watt, he's not doing that. So 10, 12 sacks. There are dudes out there you can you can find for a lot less money. So in my management position right now as a Carolina Panthers, I'm trading I'm trading them. I'm, I'm getting some value. I go find a receiver. I go find an offensive line. I go find another draft pick for next season. That's what I would do.
1: Corey Miller. Thank you, brother. Good catching up. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Clemson still stinked, by the way. Love y'all. <laughs>
0: you've tuned into instant replay when the audio was so good it has to be heard again only on sports radio 92.7 wfnz the
2: exclusive home of the charlotte sports fan